Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. I am Jared Pruger. I'm joined by Kevin Quigley and Joe Smeltzer. Gentlemen, Penn State won big yet again. They covered. Good teams win. Great teams cover against Rutgers, which was great. The defense showed up in, in large part once again, and it was pretty much the same song and dance in, outside of Michigan and Ohio State that we've seen from Penn State over the course of the season. Yeah, and it was it was pretty scary for the defense there to start. Rutgers gets the ball, takes the first drive all the way down to nearly the goal line, a key, key holding call for the Rutgers offense, sets them back, defense holds them to a field goal, and pretty much locked down then until the last drive of the first half where um, Rutgers then again drove down to the goal line, holding call, settled for a field goal. So defense has done their job all year long, and they did it again yesterday against Rutgers. Absolutely, and I want to kind of credit Rutgers a little bit, even though um, you look at it, and yeah, they lost 27-6 and were dominated for pretty much the entire game, but James Franklin always compliments uh, the opposition uh, in his Tuesday press, well, now it's a Monday presser, but in his weekly press conference before a game, he'll always credit the opposition, which I think every coach does, but he doesn't always do it after a game, and I feel like when he gives the other team credit after a game, it kind of means something a little more. Last year, they pound, they beat Ohio, I think, 49-10, and Franklin was very complimentary toward Ohio, and Ohio ended up, I think they ended up winning the MAC last season. So I think it there's a little more weight uh, when James uh, compliments an opposing team. And Rutgers, that's a top 15 defense uh, statistically in the nation. Uh, Greg Schiano is obviously a defensive coach, and they're going to be going to a bowl game this season. And I think if – if and when they start to recruit playmakers on uh, the offensive side, that's a team that could win eight, nine, maybe 10 games uh, down the road in the Big Ten. But I'm um, talking about the game. It's kind of crazy slash spooky how similar every Penn State Rutgers game is. Penn State Rutgers games in the past, uh, Jared, I think you mentioned this in the press box, have had Penn State using a quarterback that ran the ball a lot. We saw it with Will Levis twice in 19 and 20, and we saw it with Bo Prabule yesterday. They, they've had uh, quarterback starting quarterbacks get hurt in the past, either before or during the Rutgers game. Sean Clifford got hurt and missed the Rutgers game in 2019, then got hurt during the Rutgers game in 2021 when Veyer started to come in. It's been... Penn State's known to kind of sleepwalk. Um, I don't want to say they sleptwalk yesterday, but the starts have been slow, generally speaking, against Rutgers, and that was definitely the case yesterday. Uh, so, yeah, Penn State-Rutgers games um, seem to kind of follow a similar pattern, and that's kind of how uh, yesterday went. Uh, Penn State started a little slow, uh, but eventually overpowered Rutgers. But I think uh, people who watched that game in – paid attention to what Rutgers was doing, uh, they'll see that this that's a program that's on the rise. And I think that's not a program that's going to threaten for a Big Ten title anytime soon. But uh, they're going to – they can cause some teams uh, some problems down the road, definitely. Greg Schiano is, is one heck of a football coach. He put Rutgers on the map uh, before, prior to going to Tampa Bay in the NFL, and I think he's done a great job. You know, former Penn State GA uh, and, and defensive backs coach, if I'm not mistaken – you know, Shiana does a great job. Um, Defensive-minded, of course. So, And Rutgers always plays Penn State de- tough. However, it's always dominant. Penn, they have not scored uh, a touchdown against 
Penn State at Beaver Stadium since 1994. Kevin, you weren't born yet. Joe, you weren't born yet either, were you? I was not. Yeah, so before you got – man, that makes me feel old. But but before you guys were born was the last time Penn State – or Rutgers scored twice – uh, or scored a touchdown, I'm sorry, at, at Beaver Stadium. So that just shows the dominance uh, that Penn State has had over Rutgers uh, historically. But defensively, I mean, Chop Robinson was a man possessed uh, against Rutgers on Saturday. He just lit up the Scarlet Knights. And and when you have a type of performance like that, I mean, he had the strip sack and the fumble and, that was, and the fumble recovery. I mean, he had five tackles. You know, two of them for a tackle for loss. Penn State's number four in the country, according to the NCAA, in tackles for loss. And number one in sacks. They had three against Rutgers on Saturday. You know, Abdul Carter had a great game. K.J. Winston as well. And and then you got um, Kobe King um, as well. And that, when you have that, it, it's a great situation. Um for everybody involved, and that's why, you know, they're going to have a tough decision. Yeah, they they have to fill that offensive coordinator position, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the offense in the second segment, but they're going to have to back up the Brinks truck if they want to keep Manny Diaz, in my opinion. Yeah, and Joe alluded to earlier, we'll just go back, circle back real quick. We kind of got a little lopsided with our score predictions. Rutgers, Joe, <laughs> you mentioned it, number 11th ranked defense in the country according to yards per game, Penn state, they were number two in the country. So uh, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to keep Manny Diaz, I'm really, really fearful that he is going to be leaving. Um, it's, it, they are going to have to back up the bring truck, probably in the tune to three to 4 million, at least a year to hopefully keep him as a DC. I don't know if they can make him associate head coach, if that's any allure to him to be AHC and DC at the same time. Um, but the defense is there, and if he leaves, it's it's going to be a matter of who stays. And you mentioned a guy like Chop Robinson, uh, Keaton Ellis, Johnny Dixon, Kalen King. A lot of those guys, they have a, their eligibility is up. Like this defense is going to look really different next year. I think Adisa Isaac, his eligibility is up as well. Yep. Just some of the dogs on this defense are going to be gone next year, and they could very well be without a coordinator. Yeah, and that uh, talking about the guys that will be back next season. Uh, yesterday, how about KJ Winston, man? I think um, most Saturdays, um, of course, Chop Robinson was just as Jared said, a man possessed, and he was the best player on the field, I think, by far. But in a lot of games, KJ Winston would have been the best player on that field. He had a PFF grade um, of nine ninety one, I want to say. Um, he had his first interception, and he's just that guy has been falling out. Uh, really all season, just keeps getting better uh, plays. Um, it's kind of uh, taking uh, Jair Brown's role of being that kind of center fielder um, in the safeties group. Uh, he's done a great job with that. He has a good nose for the football. Um, I've been impressed in my limited interactions with him when we have interviews. He kind of reminds me of Jair Brown a little bit as far as how he uh, conducts himself uh, and just um, from what I can see what I've talked to him, which obviously that hasn't been too much, but um, he was awesome, got his first interception, and uh, looking at guys who are going to be back on next season, everybody's excited about Abdul Carter, um, for sure. Uh, excited to see what Tony Rojas is going to do next season. I'm sure he'll have an increased role. Uh, you still have some dudes on that defensive front uh, with denied Dennis Sutton coming back and some young defensive ends like Jamil Lyons and also Zane Duran at D-tackle. Um, but, yeah, K.J. Winston, I think – 
has a fair shot uh, to be maybe maybe behind Advil Carter. I don't want to put him up there yet, but aside from Carter, he might be Penn State's best defensive player next season. I don't think that's too much of a stretch, and you kind of got a glimpse uh, into that uh, future yesterday uh, with how good K.J. Winston was, and he's really been doing it all year. So His ball skills yesterday on the interception were, were pretty phenomenal. I thought that was a great read by him, um, being able to catch that ball. Um, my favorite guy, you know, to, to watch is Tony Rojas. He does not get a lot of reps, but man, does he make them count? Uh, and I think that that is a huge asset. And he ended up with, with four tackles, a, a tackle and a half for loss. Um, and that to me is huge, um, for a guy like that. And they all came in the fourth quarter. You know, the linebacker room is, is pretty deep. You've got guys like, Kobe King, you've got Abdul Carter, you've got Tyler Elston, you've got a, a good amount of guys, uh, Curtis Jacobs, you've got so many guys that you have to get reps in. Um, and, you know, Tony Rojas as, as a freshman is the odd man out, but he has made a really great habit of taking advantage of the minimal amount of reps that he's going to get. Now he gets to play in the prestigious land grant trophy game against Michigan state. And I'm very excited to see how he plays against the Spartans, no matter when he actually gets in the game. Yeah. Rojas got to take over in the fourth quarter. There was a series of three plays where he was in the backfield, all three plays, either making the play or disrupting it. That's where he got the tackle, the tackle and a half TFL. Um, and then I believe that he just forced another play inside and let him let the rest of the defense catch up. But a guy who, and I think he'll he'll probably take Curtis Jacobs' spot next year. I don't think there's much of a drop off. Yeah. That's not a slight at Curtis Jacobs. It's just how freaking good Tony Rojas is. As it a might honestly freshman. be an upgrade. As it's a true crazy freshman. to say. I mean, he, that dude's a stud. But somebody who came of age yesterday, Kobe King. Ten tackles in the as a middle linebacker. He became a Penn State middle linebacker yesterday. Absolutely stuffing runs. He had that one gate, that one play where he lined up right over the center, pushed the center right back, and was just there to make the tackle right at the line of scrimmage. Like that's what Penn State needs at middle linebacker. That's what they've been missing the last few years from it at middle linebacker, and they finally have it. And he's a guy who redshirted last year, so he would technically have three more years of eligibility after this if he chose to use it. The, the craziest stat to me from yesterday or from Saturday's game, you know, obviously Rutgers was hampered by penalties, but th- but Penn State held Rutgers rushing attack under 100 yards. They had 99 yards on 42 carries for a 2.4 gain or 2.4 yard per carry, but 22 of them came on one play, you know, and that to me, it, it speaks volumes of what they're trying to accomplish, what they're what they're able to do. And I think that's that's a really big asset, you know, to to Penn State's defense as a whole. They've got two more games left. They've got their game against Michigan State this week that we'll preview later this week, prior to Turkey Day, and then they've got the bowl game, and it'll be interesting to see where Penn State falls when that comes around. Yeah, and really, I thought I thought Rutgers was going to have more rushing yards just because Gavin Wimsat. He was scrambling really effectively early, but Penn State found a way to contain him um, and found a way to cut that off because that was pretty much the only thing that was working for Rutgers' offense. They were able to throw off of that. But Gavin Wimsett only threw the ball ten, only threw the ball sixteen times. 
for 130 yards yesterday. So uh, Penn State's defense definitely was up was up to the task. Exactly, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that continues as the as the season wears on. But we're going to talk a little bit more about the offense and their performance on Saturday when we come back for the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network after this break. the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and any sports not network there, Kevin and Joe, and I am Jared. Guys, the Penn State offense was okay. They, they put up 27 points. They covered, like we said. Um, but it was a it was a tale of two halves for the for the Penn State offense. They started out with the three and out, which was typical. Same song and dance as, as we've seen. Drew Aller gets hurt. Drew Aller takes a shot. Like it, Theo Johnson missed a block. He didn't get to the next level quick enough. Guy safety comes down and just pops, pops Drew Aller. He stays in the game, and then I said it as soon as he threw it, and Joe can attest to this. I said he's hurt, and he went right to the sidelines, right to the tent, and then in came Bo Perbula, and then Bo Perbula runs for 39 yards, and that was the jolt that the Penn State offense needed, and the Penn State offense didn't look the same after the after that third down or that uh, third quarter play. No, and we we can get to how the play calling looks on Saturday, but. I do have to question. Drew Aller is a pro-style quarterback. He has some athleticism, but he is not Bo Perpula. He should not be carrying the ball on design quarterback draws like that. And you can tell that he's not used to doing that because on that hit, he stops right before he gets hit. All at his moment, and I saw it like as soon as he was about to get popped, like he just like stopped, tucked down, and like turned his throwing shoulder right to the defender. If you're a quarterback, you got to turn the non-throwing shoulder. Right, Baker Mayfield played with a torn labrum and his non-throwing shoulder all season didn't do well that was his last year in cleveland but if you're a quarterback you got to protect that throwing shoulder guys who are mobile guys who know how to do that they're probably taking that into account but he stops turns tucks right throwing shoulder right into the defender who's barreling down on him as good of a recruit as he is as good of a talent as he is especially throwing the ball i just don't understand why they're putting him in that position to get hurt and man i just hope it's not serious because Penn State is going to need him moving forward. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, in defense of uh, Mike Yersich in the past and uh, slash J1 Sider, uh, Ty Howe, whichever one of those two uh, was more of a proponent of Drew Aller uh, running the ball as much as he did yesterday. I don't know. Um, but um, it did have some success, at least yesterday. He only ran it three times, but he gained 28 yards. So that play was working but at the same time um, as you said Kevin this guy's not a runner and if you watch the guy run it too much you kind of get the feeling that something bad is going to happen sooner or later because that's not his forte and when uh, something isn't your strength and you do it a lot and it's not really necessary um, eventually something's going to go wrong we saw it against Michigan with that fumble that really turned the whole game on its head and we saw it yesterday uh, with Drew going down and what uh, we hope uh, will not be a serious injury. Uh, not Obviously not to speculate, but Franklin did say in his press conference that it didn't appear to be serious, um, and that's a good thing. That's about as detailed as he'll get if it's not a season-ending injury. Um, uh, but, yeah, we just uh, will obviously, uh, for Drew's sake, uh, hope that he's out um, against Michigan State. Uh, personally, I, I think they could start Bo and win that game. But 
definitely want to have Drew out there if nothing else for his development and to get him uh, more reps as he's still a young quarterback. Uh, but um, the the whole he's been running too much, I think, really, even going back to when he was a backup. I remember coincidentally in the Rutgers game last year, uh, they ended up winning 59-10, and Drew was playing in mop-up duty, which he did as a backup. And they were calling – they called multiple design runs uh, when it was – a 42-49 point game, and I didn't know what the deal was with that. That's not um, – we saw design runs against Delaware uh, when it was totally unnecessary. I'm sure there was at least one against UMass. I'd have to look back, but um, it's been something that has been overdone um, with Drew Hour, I think, even before he became Penn State starter. And the past two weeks, um, it's hurt Penn State. Uh, it literally hurt Drew Hour this Saturday, and it hurt the team against Michigan uh, deeply too with that fumble. So yeah, we the uh, less Drew Hour shouldn't be running almost at all um, from now on, and I, I hope that Penn State has learned its lesson there. You hope you hope that they do. Obviously, they've been predicated on running the football with a quarterback for well since. You know, James Franklin got there, right? Since Tracy Sorley came in in the Tax Slayer Bowl and um, took over for, for Christian Hackenberg, there's always been that athleticism, that that run-first kind of mentality from, from a quarterback. And he's really the first pro-style quarterback they've had since Hackenberg. And yeah. when you have that, obviously your, your first instinct is to want to run the ball. You know, in that instance, he probably wishes he would have slid sooner uh, and got down sooner. But, you know, the, looking at – at that game or that play from the from the end zone view, you there's no way that he unless he saw that him uh, saw maybe a, a second sooner, he's not going to get down. He didn't see that guy coming, and I think that's the big thing there. You know, he wasn't able to really get down and slide like he normally would uh, and protect himself a little bit more. But you know, at the end of the day, they won without him, and really, Bo Perbula kind of took over, and and it wasn't like there was anything lost. I I don't think there was a step down. I think it was very even keel. And if not, I think he played a little bit better than Drew Aller has played um, in recent memory. But the biggest thing for, for Penn State is that they got the offense going, and Nick Singleton was able to bounce some plays outside. Now, he did fumble, and he did not look good for probably about three quarters of the game, but he fumbled and then came back, and he was like a, he was another guy that, that looked like he was running with some purpose. You know, gets outside, gets a big gain, then uh, gets dinged up. But he ran hard. He got outside the tackles. And that's something that we haven't really seen from Nicholas Singleton all year. No, it's not. And there was, at the last touchdown of the game, Bo Perula fumbles the ball. And Nick Singleton is seen in the backfield as being disappointed. It's not that he's not a team guy. He wanted it. He, that was a play designed for him. He wanted that touchdown. So don't don't get mad at the guy for that. I, I think it was just pure passion. It's not that he wasn't happy for Bo. Not that he's not happy for the score. It's pure passion, and he just want. It was his play to get the touchdown on. And Jared, you you kind of said it, but I, the offense was more successful against Rutgers with Prabula at the helm. But I don't think it was better. It's it sounds like a contradictory statement, and, and I've been thinking all day on how to articulate this. Is the, it was more successful because Penn State is more successful against Rutgers in the second half every time they play them. Every I, th- I forget who it was. I think it was TD from 247 tweeted out 
like the last four halftime scores like for Penn State at Rutgers have been like 7-6, 10-6, 7-6, 10-6. Something crazy like that, like just really low scoring first halves. And with the new OC, this is where Drew Aller's injury is going to come in. Like he needs more reps with the new OCs, but with the new OC, the offense is probably not fully built out yet. There's probably a lot of confusion and a quarterback with that much athleticism probably is a little bit more successful, but I, I don't think it's the long-term solution going forward. They clearly don't trust Bo to throw the football. He threw it one time. He threw it one time. They also don't need him to right now. No, they didn't need him to against Rutgers, but will they need to do it against Michigan State? Uh, probably a little bit. And if, more, than, more than once, definitely. Yeah, if definitely has, more than once. Yes, it's hard, obviously. But and if you go to the bowl game and you get. Oregon, Florida State, Alabama, you're probably going to need to throw the ball more than one time. I'm going to yep. say it's probably going to have to be thrown 35, 30 to 35 times against yep. those teams. And you're, you are oh, going to well, need your Well, well Drew's not going to be out that long. Um, I, don't, no. I don't think there's anything that says that he's going to be out throwing the bowl, throw the bowl game. But um, that, that's a point uh, that you're right, Kevin. Um, it was the first half, and it needs to be considered if if Nicholas Singleton doesn't fumble um, when Penn State was either mm-hmm. in or near the red zone, they were deep in Rutgers territory. But Penn State gets at least a field goal, probably a touchdown on that drive because they were rolling. Drew hit Amari Evans for probably the best passing play of the day. And then I think the next play, Singleton fumbles. And um, if that goes differently, Penn State's up um, probably 17-6 at the half. And I think the game ends up getting away faster um, than it does. Uh, but – yeah, the Penn State's been a second-half team uh, for the most part uh, in pretty much any Rutgers game. Even last year's game was 59-10. I think it was, uh, like, I forget what the halftime score. Actually, I looked that up, and I'll talk while I looked that up. But um, Rutgers always – they always Penn State always started slow against Rutgers, and that's just a staple of the Rutgers series. Um, it was 7 nothing at the half in 2021. That was the second – home game I covered um, at Beaver Stadium. Uh, but uh, talking about uh, Nicholas Singleton, who ran his only uh, kickoff return back for a touchdown in that Rutgers game in Piscataway last season, um, hopefully that last drive that ended with uh, Perbula's touchdown, hopefully that gets him going because he really did look like his 2022 self. He was going to the outside. He was hitting the edges. Um, I don't know really uh, what his deal has been um, – this season, I don't know what your guys' take is. I know Jared and I were talking about it in the press box. Like, it's apparent that Singleton does not want to go to the outside, and I don't know if that's the way he is being coached. I don't know what that's an ego thing. When I say ego, like Nick Singleton is not an ego guy at all. But at the same time, any athlete um, has to have an ego. Like that's a requirement uh, to play Division One football, right? And um, maybe there. Maybe there's something telling Nick Singleton, like, hey, I, I want to be a more well-rounded back. And he's doing it with the best intentions for Penn State's team, but it hasn't worked out. So whether he's being coached to run more inside or whether he's trying to make himself more well-rounded, the quick analogy I'll use is the movie Major League Two when Rick Vaughn decides he wants to have more pitches instead of just the fastball, and it doesn't work. I feel like that's been Nick Singleton this year. So I don't know what your guys' take on that, um, but uh, we talked about it before, and hopefully that's what gets uh, Nick Singleton going. And it was 28-10 Penn State um, over Rutgers at the half uh, last season and ended up being 55-10. So there you go. But 
I think he got that scat back home run hitter mentality last year, or he got that moniker that like that's all he does. So he wanted to prove himself as an all all purpose back this year. Sorry, Jerry. No, and I, and I think that's a good point. I mean, he's played a lot of between the tackles. When Katron Allen came to Penn State, he was a lot more polished. He played at IMG. You know, that's a little bit different um, than Governor Mifflin. It's a little bit different than than high school and where Nicholas Singleton went. Um, and, and you know, when you're when you're a little bit more polished, it's you know one of those situations. And Katron Allen was the polished running back. Now, that's nothing against Katron Allen. I think he's a little bit more physical of a back. While you're right. You know, Singleton is a more of a, of a bouncing outside kind of guy. And I don't know if – and we've had this conversation and every time I've been in the press box this year, if that is by design, how that looks, what it means, you know, is because I can see it a bunch of different ways. I can see the stubbornness and wanting him to go between the tackles and find the hole that way and make him a better runner. But I can also see it in the other way where you don't want to focus on bouncing it outside. But the outside has been there. You know, I thought – um, I thought the offensive coordinators did a really good job. Uh, I think on the surface during the game, you, you look at the score and you think, well, maybe there there could have been a couple of things. There was a miscommunication between Cephas and, and Aller, it looked like, on a comeback route. He, he ran a comeback instead of a curl. Um, There's an incompletion there. But overall, you know, a, a win is a win, right? But Penn State won by a, a big amount. And now, you know, now you wait and see about the status of Drew Aller. Is, is it going to be an extended period of time? I, I, I agree with Joe. I don't think that the game is in any danger with Prabula. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how they call the game differently uh, than, than they would with Prabula compared to Drew Aller. Will we see that? We're, I'm not really sure, but this is a short week. This game is, is on Friday. Um, Link Ritten Trophy is so important, they decided to move it up a day. But now we get to see a little bit different of a, of a situation. Now that these guys have, have game planned accordingly, they're going to they're obviously today in the film room or whatever. But again, the, the one issue here is what are we going to see from them against Michigan state? So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But you know, when you, when we talk about Drew Aller and Bo Prabula, we haven't really seen Prabula with the receivers. And when he has passed the ball, it has been mop up duty but seeing him with the ones, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith, who could be coming back, um, I don't think that his draft stock has improved at all. Um, in the up, in the receivers as a position group, I don't think have been that great this year. No, and 14 pass attempts, only five receivers received a target yesterday. Uh, I don't think we take much stock into that, but if you are watching from home like I was and you heard Fox ripping Drew Aller to shreds on that miscommunication to Cephas, there's there's no debate. It wasn't a missed throw. Fox, I don't know if you guys heard this, the coverage of that, but Fox was just ripping Aller to shreds of just throwing it to the absolute wrong guy, like just a bad throw. But if you watch the replay of that, Drew Aller is comfortable in the pocket, sets his feet, and throws to a spot. That was not a missed throw. That was a That was the bad route. And this is where I think I think we need to start looking like we need to get Malik McLean. We listen to me. Penn State needs to get Malik McLean back in there at number two. And they need to get Trey Wallace in there back healthy as well. Because Cephas, I've not been impressed with him. I, I think he's looked a little lost out there. Not that McLean hasn't, but McLean looked lost when he didn't play for eight weeks. Cephas has been there. And he's, young. Dante Cephas is almost my age. 
He's in yeah. his fifth year. McLean's in his second year, third year. Second I think year? it's his. Th- I think it's his third year. Second but or third so, year, whatever it is. He, he wasn't playing that much at Florida State, so he, that's more excusable for him. Yeah, and it's there is the confusion. There is new OCs, but like, man, this is the this is the eleventh game of the year, tenth game. And of the this year. has been a habit all year. This has been an issue all year for these receivers. I don't necessarily think it's Drew Aller. I think these receivers just aren't capable of doing this. We talked about this. Um, I think in the pregame show, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but these, none of these guys are, are Marcus Higgins guys. These are all stubble field, stubble field guys. And that's an issue. Um, his stubble field wasn't great at recruiting by, by any means. No, that's why I got fired. Right. So, you know, that's an issue. Um, Omari Evans had a great play that that pitching catch was really great. Um, he was, that was a phenomenal pass and a phenomenal catch to hold on to that as a tight window i you know looking at the film this isn't all on drew aller and, and you mentioned the fox broadcast i saw on twitter that fox just had an awful broadcast overall so um and that's obviously an issue but yeah, well that game did seem like it went forever um ruckers seemed to get hurt after every big play so there was that yeah. as well but you know, there's still a lot of room to grow for the receivers and a lot. And I mean, like a lot, a lot, um, like they all, they all need help. You know, we all thought the Keandre Lambert Smith was going to be a great number one. I, and I don't see that yet. Um, Cephas is supposed to be a little bit more productive. He can't get out of the playbook. Um, you know, the receivers have been a problem for them. The tight ends are their best receivers. Tyler Warren, um, Theo Johnson. Those are the guys that are their top receivers. Get the running backs involved in the passing game. You know, that's, that's I would like to see that against Michigan um, and Michigan State. I, I mean, and and go from there. But at the end of the day, Penn State is nine and two. They've got one more win. It's a trophy game, greatest trophy of them all. And we'll talk a little bit more about a bunch of different things when we come back for the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and Indy Sports Now Network. There, Kevin and Joe. I'm Jared. We are the broke version of the Jonas Brothers on the Penn State beat. The issue here for, for the rest of the league, my favorite thing I think now in, in college football was Deion Sanders at the beginning of the year. He was hot. Everybody wanted to – he was the, the end thing. And that has not been the case lately now that they're playing teams that have a pulse. And I'm actually I love that. And they're not handling well. They have starting running backs going on Twitter saying if it wasn't the team, if they play team first football, life would be better. Yes, turmoil. USC Caleb Williams won't speak to the media after games. That's um, that's not great. Um, you know, say say what you want about James Franklin and, and his handling with the with the media, but as a starting quarterback at USC, you have got to face the media. Yeah, you lost by 18 to UCLA who was going to fire Chip Kelly and they might not fire him now, you know, the grass isn't always greener, right? We talk about that all the time when it comes to coaches. Um, Lincoln Riley is not having a good time out in SoCal. No, and that's USC is probably a place if uh, USC decides to move on from Lincoln Riley, because they have endless amount of money too. 
that's a place where Manny Diaz can probably end up. Um, if you, I, I do like Prime as a college football coach. I don't like Prime as a personality, but he's not going anywhere. He can't go anywhere. Shadur and Shiloh and Travis Hunter can't transfer next year in play. Uh, so they only have one. Well, Travis Hunter has more than one year of eligibility left, but Sanders' two sons do not have any more transfers left, and they only have one more year of eligibility. So Sanders leaves. They got to stay at Colorado, and Sanders is not going to leave his sons alone at Colorado. So I think he is primed, ironically primed, to be a, a head coach somewhere else uh, once he gets his own guys that are not his own sons because it's kind of the coach's son mentality there, and it's something that when you're growing up, you didn't always like when the coach's son was getting a lot of playtime. I mean, I sucked at I sucked at athletics growing up, so we won't go there. But uh, he has kids who are talented, but I think it's it's very I. It's not a lot of we in that program, and uh, I think it's a challenge for him. And I, I think until they get some good culture building in there that is more we, uh, Colorado will continue to perform probably at that level. Yeah. Uh, Jared, you mentioned Caleb Williams, and that that is just unbelievable. It's not unprecedented. He's not the first person to um, blow off the media. Uh, Phil Jerkovic uh, did it. Uh, Pitts quarterback, former quarterback, not a tight end, LOL. He did that after the backyard brawl. And I don't know if it was ever confirmed whether Narduzzi, uh, head coach Pat Narduzzi held him back or whether Jerkovic just didn't want to come out, um, whatever the case. But, uh, Tyler Donahue, uh, Lions 247, uh, he just signed an extension with them, so congrats to him. Great dude. Uh, but he he quote-tweeted um, that uh, news that Caleb didn't speak with. Um, he brought up that Drew Hour talked to, um, I can say us, because Jared and I were both there. Uh, he talked to us um, after the Ohio State game. Uh, he was um, in tears. Um, and then Theo Johnson uh was in tears uh, after the Michigan game, but both of those guys came out and answered the questions and, uh, and they talked and I'm sure uh, this predates me, but uh, Jared, you probably saw it. There were times when Trace McSorley, uh, Sean Clifford, uh, whoever, uh, they probably came out in similar circumstances. Uh, Sean Clifford uh, that lost the game in nine overtimes to Illinois and came out and talked. So uh, I just, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a media member um, and, I'm partially biased, uh, but uh, I just think in general, and I think Deontay Johnson did the same thing today after the Steelers lost to the Browns. I don't know why these people don't understand that not talking to the press doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help the coach. It doesn't help the team. Uh, Lincoln Riley, I'm sure, has faced some criticism because Caleb Williams didn't talk. Uh, people see that as kind of an indictment on the culture that, Lincoln Riley has at USC where guys just run away from adversity and responsibility. Uh, Pat Narduzzi caught criticism for Dracovica not talking. So that the players aren't just making themselves look bad. They're making the coaches and subsequently the program look bad by doing that. And you're going to risk all that um, just because you're not comfortable talking about a game that you lost when in any case there's going to be other more of your teammates that are going to come out and talk and answer questions. It just doesn't make anybody look good. And I hope that athletes kind of read how people responded to Caleb Williams, not talking to the press uh, because that's a good indicator of how it's viewed and not, I'm saying this as a person and not just a writer that um, 
you can be short with the press. You can give short answers. That's okay. If people don't want to talk long, that's okay. But not talking at all doesn't do anybody any good. Well, and if you're, you know, if you're starting quarterback at, at, and, a, and a former Heisman winner, right, you've got to talk to the media. I mean, yeah, it sucks when you lose. It sucks when you lose to a rival. It sucks when your season hasn't gone the way that it has because your team just refuses to play defense. But at the same time, like it's it's your job as a starting quarterback. And and Penn State, I think to their credit, does a great job of getting guys, you know, out there. You know, we got Bo Perbula yesterday. We typically get Drew Aller. You know, it, there's value in that and sending the guys that you that you want to talk about. You know, and, and to set the stage for those of you that are still listening that don't really know how this works, you know, in the in the NFL, you you pretty much get free reign in the locker room. In college football, outside of bowl games at Penn State, you don't really get much of anybody unless they tell you. Um, and that was one of the things that, you know, going to bowl games, is that's where you get your better, your your most content, that and media day. And at smaller universities like St. Francis, I do uh, work at St. Francis for, for the Elton Amir. Um, that, you talk to the SID and you're like, hey, can I talk to so-and-so, talk to this guy, talk to coach, whatever. And then they, they orchestrate that. Well, Penn State, you go to the media room, if you don't, if you go, we're, we're luckily we're lucky to be able to get on the field with five minutes left, see the final parts of the game from the sidelines, if you wish, and then we wait for for who Penn State sends in. They typically send in the starting quarterback, best player on defense. Um, if as long as they're as long as they're not freshmen, they don't let freshmen speak. That's been a rule for for a long time, and I think that's a really good rule. Um, you know, typically you get that hot freshman, and it, yeah, you know, it's not it's not fun. Like, hey, Drew Aller played last last night or today. Can we get can we talk to him? No, because he's a freshman. Um, but it allows them to kind of to get their feet wet and, and and understand the game and understand the as that aspect of it. But win, lose, or draw, you know, it's an emotional game. You gotta gotta be able to to handle that. And if I'm an NFL scout, I'm I'm kind of questioning what his motives are. You know, this is a guy that is is a Heisman winner. Um, a guy that has played football at a, at a very elite level over the course of his career. Um, but here he is not wanting to talk to the media after, after a loss, you know, what does that say about his character? What does that say about this, about that? And, and, you know, people are going to bash him for this or bash him that they got on him for crying after he got on Max Dugan for crying. Um, you know, you, you got to sit there and take it. James Franklin to his credit, you know, and this is where I want to wrap my thoughts up. James Franklin, to his credit, gets a lot of flack. Um, good, bad, and different. You know, it's been the same kind of deal for a long, long time for James Franklin. And no matter what, he has always stayed true to himself. He has always been himself. His players respect the hell out of that. And we saw that a, a big, big time last night. Chop Robinson talked about it. Theo Johnson talked about it. You know, everybody talked about how James handles himself in the locker room, their appreciation for him. And I think that speaks volumes as a coach. You you embody your coach as a program. You know, it's you see it with Jerkovic at um at Pitt and, and Narduzzi. You see it with Caleb Williams at USC under Lincoln Riley, and you see it with these guys for James Franklin at Penn State. It speaks volumes to your coaches and the character that they show when they interact with the media. And it trickles down to their players as well. Yeah, and speaking to the media, win, lose, or draw after a loss, it's part of being an adult, right? It's it's part of taking responsibility. 
granted he is still a college student and you know we weren't the most responsible people that we were in high in high school and college as we are today as functioning adults in society there are difficult things to happen like if you make a mistake at work if you make a bad decision i don't know driving and you hit somebody like you have to answer for what for what wrongs you did or show that emotion and it's penn state does a good job drew aller just showing tears after ohio state like that shows how much he cares about it and should, should caleb williams have been made fun of for crying with his mom in the stands after the game no probably not but when you make fun of somebody for crying after the game and then you go ahead and do the same thing yeah you you you, you should probably know that that's probably coming and i don't think he's going to get an ownership stake uh when he gets drafted from the team uh that he was seeking earlier this year and uh He's going to learn real quick that in the NFL, when you start refusing to talk to the media, they send you a little check, a little bill. You got to write them a little check. Yeah. And it's not a good look for Lincoln Riley either, because I don't know too much about USC, but from my understanding is he, he is not the type of coach that would get on Caleb Williams for doing something like that. That's not the impression. And he has his issues with the media himself going back uh, to the Oklahoma days uh, when that were, there was that big stink about uh, when the student newspaper uh, discovered, ironically, that Caleb Williams was the starting quarterback and not Spencer Rattler, um, and they did their work on that, and that caused a big stink uh, with uh, the Oklahoma coaching staff. And then this year when um, – I don't even remember what the reporter did, but I remember that it was really nothing. Uh, they took Riley, his credential. Yeah, they took his credential for two games. Of course, I think he got it back days later because – um, the people on social media did their thing, quote unquote, and ripped the hell out of Riley and USC. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that just kind of, I think Caleb Williams is responsible for his own actions, uh, but I don't think his coach and the culture that his coach has established at USC, I don't think that's helped things um, at all. I think that Lincoln Riley has enabled that. Right. And that's, you know, the culture, right? You know, we Saturday was senior day, and and I spoke with with Olu Fashionu and you know Keaton Ellis about their legacies, what they want their legacies to be at Penn State, and that uh, that column and that story will be coming out here later this week for uh, for NSN. But you know, it, it, it's about leaving the place better than you found it. And Caleb Williams, man, you know, that, I think that's unfortunate. I think it's I think it's kind of frustrating um, because that's a guy you want to hear from. You know, there's there are certain people you want to hear from at, at different programs, and it goes same thing at, at in a major league baseball clubhouse. And fortunately, I've spent some time in, in at the Pirates clubhouse, and you know, in, in Altoona, and there there are just certain people you'd rather hear from than than others. And when you're the starting quarterback at USC, that's you're your guy. And I would cry too if my defense was as bad as USC's. They're playing Big Twelve defense, um, and and that's just not existent. But again. You know, this is a big week for football. It was a wild weekend, too. You know, we'll wrap it up with, with a couple of crazy things that happened um, over the course of the weekend. Obviously, Washington State throttled um, Colorado, which I thought was very fun to, to see. Um, Mar- Maryland took it to, to Michigan. That was a struggle fest for the for the Wolverines. I don't know that Sharon Moore is, is that great at what he does. He likes to run the football. I think J.J. McCarthy is a little bit – more hurt than he is letting on. Um, Alabama handled Chattanooga with with relative ease. Um, they did give up ten points, which which is shocking. Um, Louisville 
came back against uh, Miami. Ole Miss handled uh, Louisiana Monroe. Oklahoma took down the Mormons, but BYU was up for, for quite a quite a long time. First time a Jewish quarterback started for BYU, which I think is wild. Um, Tulane took down FAU. Kevin's Arizona Wildcats took down the Utes of Utah, who Cam Rising. The bandwagon's open, baby. Bandwagon's open. Cam Rising is back for Utah next year uh, for his 17th season. (laughs) Um, Georgia dismantled Tennessee. Rocky Top was not a good place to be. Um, Iowa and Illinois in the most Iowa-Illinois game ever, 15-13. Iowa will be be playing the Big Ten Championship. (laughs) We'll be playing the Big Ten Championship. Um, Notre Dame took down... Wake Forest, Clemson, Dabo's got the boys back. Uh, took down North Carolina, who is kind of since Tez Walker came back, they haven't played very good football. Um, Ohio State took down Minnesota. Oregon handled Arizona State. Oklahoma State did their thing. Um, North Game of the Fort- week. Game of the week was Washington, Oregon State. Washington yes. hangs on at the end, really for dear life. They didn't get more than like 40 or 50 yards in the second half pouring down rain in the first half. And honestly, like that's a Heisman winning game for Penix. He wasn't the game's high passer. That was that, that belongs to DJU, but Washington, you're on the road in Corvallis. They were, they were a dog road dog in Corvallis and they get, they pull out the win. And I, I do believe that they will jump Florida state into the rank in the rankings this week because Florida they should. State, um, I, I, I do feel bad. Um, Jordan Travis, graphic leg injury. Oh, oh, yeah, that was I, rough. I was trying to avoid that replay on Twitter, and I found it. Uh, just scrolling by it, and I, I can't pull my eyes away when I start to see the video, and I saw it just his leg just doing the things it was doing. Yeah. But, Fun fact about Florida State, Kevin. The fourth highest rusher was Keziah Holmes, former well, Penn State guy. North Alabama had a 13 to or yeah, thirteen to nothing lead over Florida State, and that's and then why they hung fifty eight unanswered. Um, you still don't go down. You still don't go down. 13 <laughs> some of the other yes. right. So some of the other um, somebody I saw somewhere uh, that uh, and I think it was Brett McMurphy that he had Kansas State higher than Penn State in the rankings, and I thought that was really really dumb. Uh, he I think in his AP top twenty five he had Penn State at sixteen, um, which is Six, no. Oh my wow. That is, Which is very, very LOL, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think let me see you know, 11 is a perfect spot for them. I will say that. I think. I, I think yes, I, I think 11 is, is where they sh- where they will be this year, um, coming up or this week coming up. Um, and they're 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 right in line where they need to be. Or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, his his AP poll had Penn State 16 behind Oregon State, OU, LSU, Arizona. And Ole Miss, and then Mizzou was ahead of them, um, which I, I thought that was just dumb. But hey, I luckily I don't have an AP vote, I guess. Um, but Missouri struggled against Florida. Florida played them tough. Texas and Iowa State was a tough game, um, and then LSU uh, handled Georgia State uh, pretty well. Um, speaking of former Penn State guys, let's take a look. Noah Kane had one rush for twenty yards. Yep. So Good there you have team. it. There you have it. It was it was not it was a crazy it was at times a crazy week. I think there is um there were some trends where we thought that maybe some of the higher seeds was lost 
Um, but they ended up prevailing at the end. Penn State up to 11. I would imagine that's where they're going to be uh, for the college football playoff. And that's exactly where they should be. They, there's a lot that can happen. The, but all eyes, obviously, after Friday in the prestigious Land Grant Trophy game. Um, this is my favorite week of the year. Uh, as, as these guys both know, I've already sent them pictures of the Land Grant Trophy multiple times over the last, uh, last day. It's Michigan State Week, Land Grant Trophy Week. Get yourselves excited. But all eyes are going to be in, in uh, Ann Arbor. That is, that's the place that game day is going to be there. Um, Hardball won't be, <laughs> and it's going to be, it's going to be one of those, one of those crazy things. Yep. A big game, biggest game of the week, Ohio State, Michigan. And, uh, we'll have our predictions shared and I will have that later this week. Joe, what do you think? Who gets it done? Uh, um, Michigan didn't look too good against Maryland. Um, it's become, I think, pretty one-dimensional over the past two weeks. Whether that's, as Jared mentioned, J.J. McCarthy's health or uh, Jim Harbaugh not being there and Sharon Moore having well, what I would guess is pretty much 100% authority over the offense. Um, it, I'm going to say, having seen both teams, um, I'm going to go with Michigan. Um, I don't know about... Outside of uh, Harrison, um, I don't know about uh, Cal McCord against that Michigan defense. Um, it's going to be a close game. I could see it going either way. It wouldn't shock me at all to see Ohio State win, and maybe maybe I'll change um, over the next few days. Uh, but for now, um, in the big house, um, I'll go with Michigan. But it'll be, it'll be a good one, as it has been um, over the past two years. And what's really been – an absolute renaissance uh, for the rivalry, which is great for college football. The NCAA and the world need Michigan to lose. The, it, obviously, Michigan against everybody, but it's Ohio against the world, and I just don't know how the world, how everybody trumps the world. But that remains to be seen. We'll talk a little bit more about the game and the prestigious language trophy later this week. But as always, we thank you for joining us for Kevin quickly, Joe Smeltzer. This has been Jared Prugar on the lashing out podcast and an Indy sports now network. We'll catch you later this week.